Hello, I'm here, just me today, to talk about machine learning and other topics. There's an article on Vice talking about overemployed hustlers. These are people who during the pandemic took many full-time jobs, like three or four, and found ways to just sort of juggle them and do a sufficient amount of work in all of them to make a lot of money. And now some people are doing this using ChatGPT. One guy has a job that involves making a lot of presentations and writing a lot. He said, this used to be a lot of work, but now ChatGPT does 80% of the work and I can easily hold down three or four jobs at a time. And so um, some people would say these people are committing fraud and cheating their employers. Other people would say they are efficient visionaries that can just do their job better. And uh, so I think I tend to prefer the second interpretation. The same thing happened several years ago when outsourcing became uh, was a relatively new thing. There was a coder who outsourced his job to all sorts of people in third world countries and uh, at a, you know, giving them a fraction of his paycheck was again being very productive by just using an efficient way to get the job done that the managers didn't understand. So I think uh, whether you regard these people as good employees or not is a trivial matter. What really matters is the rise of AI, which is why I'm very much pushing machine learning. I've declared an emergency in all my classes and added machine learning training to all my classes, telling my students it's more important to learn AI than anything else in my classes right now because it's growing so fast. As far as I'm concerned, this is the singularity predicted by Ray Kurzweil 20 or 30 years ago. He predicted that there would come a time when machine learning got smart enough to train itself and it started developing at an outrageously fast pace to where it rapidly moved into an unpredictable future where technological developments will be much, much more surprising and new and then, than any gradual progress you can predict from the past. And as far as I'm concerned, we're in it now. For the last three or four years, AI has been improving at the rate of a factor of 10 every year, much faster than Moore's Law. So I think for people in technological fields, it is absolutely essential to get on board with AI now. And I think within a few years, everybody, their life will change because of all the new machine learning AI devices. I don't think it's going to be AI that acts like humans walking around like robots, killing people like the Terminators. That's 10 or 20 years off, probably, if it ever comes at all. But what is going to happen is a huge leap forward where everybody finds helpful, useful utilities all around you, like your computer will be smart, like Captain Kirk's computer on Star Trek, you can just talk to it. And all sorts of new features will appear that you can't predict easily from right now. And anybody in the world of technology developing products or securing them or marketing them that doesn't understand how machine learning works is going to be lost and useless, like someone that doesn't understand how to use Microsoft Office 10 years ago. So you need to start programming it. You need to start using it. You need to start understanding what it can do and what it can't do and why, because this is going to be the primary tool we all use for the coming decade. Anyway, so I'm, and so I've added, I'm collecting machine learning projects, putting them on my homepage, samsglass.info. I'm going to have a CTF. I'm going to present it at RSA. I'm going to have all my students doing it, and I'm probably going to be teaching other teachers how to do this all through this summer. Um, then, 
as always, when there's a big step forward, there's a bunch of hype. So there's a bunch of fake AI projects out there, or at least I'd say uh, exaggerated AI projects. One of them is Pascan. Pascan is a supposed new password cracker. And the novel innovation here is it, it applies to an offline password attack where you get into a system and you get to steal the password hashes from a Windows SAM file, for example, and then you have to crack those hashes. Now, the current system used by tools like Hashcat is you take a dump of known passwords uh, from previous stolen passwords and you try those. And then you try mutating them by changing some of the numbers to letters or combining two of them or adding digits or symbols at the end to make a mutated list. And then you try that. And all this does is it creates the mutated list using some form of AI. And in practice, this is really no better than the existing system. So people try to make a big deal out of it and say this is going to revolutionize the world. And I think that one is not going to revolutionize the world. Um, that's why I say AI is coming, it's going to be huge, but understanding what it can do and what it can't do is what's really going to matter. And another one, uh, there's a guy that now I saw a scary clickbait headline on Fox News, which I don't regard as any kind of news agency anymore after the lawsuit revelations. It's a completely fake show. It's basically sort of like Saturday Night Live pretending to be a news show with even less journalistic integrity. It's a bunch of people deliberately making up lies and selling it to you. It's basically like the weekly world news, people making up stuff that they know is fake just to get you to read it. Um, anyway, but they're they're saying that uh, their chat GPT is going to write malware and destroy us all because some guy wrote a zero-day virus, he said, with chat GPT. And all he did was get a few... Um, breaking down into a few tasks, like make some way to open a remote shell, make some way to hide data in steganography. And it would then just recommend coding tricks, just like you would find on Stack Exchange. He was able to patch together a few pieces of code to make a Trojan. So it's not really anything exciting at all. It's uh, showing you can build a virus using standard techniques that you could find in any online tutorial, any of my class projects, you know, just just using AI to do something you could have done other ways without the AI adding anything significant to it. But it does give uh, unscrupulous people an opportunity to write a scary headline and terrify people, which is why you need to be a um, educated, critical thinking consumer of all this new technology so you can have a higher chance of detecting the real stuff from the fake stuff. Uh, something that came up from... Uh, a person on Paul Security Weekly this week you know, was something I had not heard of. There's a hyperbaric oxygen therapy paper out. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy has been known for a long time to help people heal wounds faster and cure and improve brain function, people with limited brain function or something like that. It's a, you put you in a, a tube and you just have high pressure oxygen. So when you're breathing, getting more oxygen into your cells. And this apparently greatly improves PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder for combat veterans. They tried it and found out it greatly helps. So that would suggest that PTSD is in fact caused by some kind of brain damage, which I think is something generally believed. And this uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy uh, apparently helps improve it. So that's a good thing. It's a real problem. I've had students with PTSD greatly impairing their life and any kind of good treatment for it is very good. Uh, then there's uh, in Israel, some irrigation systems were briefly hacked. And the interesting thing about this is it just shows the challenge of ICS security, uh, industrial uh, devices. They were warned in advance by the Israel's National Cyber Directorate. They warned farms that they were probably going to experience um, 
cyber attacks, and they told them they should disable remote connections to their irrigation systems. But about a dozen farms in the Jordan Valley failed to do so, and their water controllers were hacked, and therefore they were disabled for their automatic irrigation. They had to go back to manual irrigation. And they say they happened because they just left their ICS systems exposed to the internet and used default passwords without changing them. So it's not like it's technically complicated, but this tends to happen. People building industrial equipment tend not to think about cybersecurity. Same thing true of medical devices. They think of other things like making sure it will continue to function and how to repair it easily and things like that. And they don't take cybersecurity seriously. So to leave some foolish system like a default password, which is not much better than just no password at all. A, um, this is one of the psychology experiments that could be regarded as Captain Obvious, but it's sort of interesting to have the data. They took some subjects and then asked them to remember to remember to do something later and then go through a period of distracting them and see if they still remember what they were supposed to do. And uh, they found that TikTok very strongly impairs your ability to do this task. TikTok is very distracting. And it very much makes you forget what you were supposed to do. So if, if you think about uh, sort of the average parent's concern that kids will waste time on this nonsense and not do their homework, uh, it seems like TikTok is far more likely to have that effect of causing you to forget other things you were supposed to be doing instead than Twitter or YouTube or just doing nothing in particular at all. So uh, that I think is the whole point of it. It's very engaging. It's, I must say I, I live this way almost I, it must be 75% of the time I walk down the stairs to my car to go teach class and I've forgotten something and I have to come back and get it because I have any intention to grab these things, but then I get distracted working on my computer and I forget my previous intentions. This happens to me all the time. I don't use TikTok, but uh, I imagine if I did, this would be even worse. All right. Now, Microsoft has now made their local administrator password solution generally available. It's been available as some kind of optional add-on for a while. And the point of this is if you have a, um, a business network of computers and the passwords are controlled by an Active Directory controller, they also have a local administrator account. You can log on without an internet connection to fix problems. or And that account typically has been a serious security problem because it tends to be the same on every machine. There are various solutions. And uh, you might want to have that account to access the system if something's wrong with the network, to apply a patch or something, and you might want it to be secure. And so this, what this solution does is it manages the password, it regularly rotates the password, and backs it up to Active Directory. So there is a password, and it is available to authorized administrators if necessary, but it's not just a default password or a fixed password that represents a security risk in that regard. So it sounds like a useful tool. And the last one I saw that I thought was interesting was hijacking Arch Linux passages by repojacking GitHub repositories. If you think about the way modern software development works, you use something like NPM libraries or Python libraries, or in this case, um, GitHub. You connect to GitHub repositories. And the point is, these things are just a website put up by some third party, often a sort of unpaid amateur, puts up a library, then you find it useful, so you incorporate it into your project. Now, as you develop future versions of your project, it will download the latest version of that library. And the problem is, that's not controlled by a company, it's not maintained to compliance standards, you have no reason to believe they're actually doing a professional job at that end. And in fact, a lot of GitHub developers either 
vanish and cancel their account, or they change the name on their account. Now, GitHub, if you change the name of your GitHub repository and people try to fetch the old name, it will automatically forward to the new name until somebody makes a new account with the old name, and then it won't anymore. So if you just scan the system and find these, you can uh, target them and take over the old abandoned names. And then you will get requests from projects to load the old repository, and you can put a malicious repository up there, and they'll load that. So this is one of the many flaws leading to the supply chain attacks that I've been hearing all over the place for years. Um, if you actually consider where all the software came from that's running in your project, you really need to consider how much of that did your company write? How much of that did somebody trustworthy write? And how much of that is loading from some random place on the internet that is not secure, not even a trusted nation, not subject to any compliance standards, not audited at all. And you really need to wonder how much can you trust all those pieces of software that are going into your code? And everybody is increasingly trying to make find a way to make a software bill of materials and audit that and try to lower that risk, which currently is really quite high and uh, hit the big news because of the SolarWinds attack. Although none of the mitigation measures proposed would stop a SolarWinds attack. The SolarWinds attack was very sophisticated because the Russians actually hacked into the development environment of a legitimate company and put malware in the legitimate updates. And that's awful. I mean, most supply chain attacks, you think about this sort of thing. I'm loading an update from some totally untrusted source, like just some random guy's GitHub account, and I don't even know if that's still the same guy running that account. That's pretty bad. Uh, if it's a legitimate professional company in a, in your in the America, and you don't want the legitimate update, uh, how am I supposed to not trust that? What am I supposed to do? Uh, that, I think, is impossible to protect by uh, supply chain measures I think the only reasonable defense there is instant response like we have. All you can do is download things from people like Microsoft and trust them. And then if that is bad, you count on the security community to quickly detect it and put up news articles about it and put up a patch and a remediation. But realistically, I don't think there's any alternative other than to trust the real updates that come from companies uh, that are obeying compliance standards in, in legitimate companies, in legitimate countries, you know, countries you have some reason to trust. Anyway, that's all I have for this one. And we'll have another one on Tuesday.